Are you a business owner or part of a marketing team struggling to create content that your customers will notice? Are you tired of spending precious time writing blog posts or email newsletters that your target audience doesn't read? Maybe it's time to consider creating a podcast. There has been explosive growth of people tuning into podcasts. According to Edison Research, nearly one out of every three people listen to at least one podcast a month. More than half of all Americans say they have listened to a podcast. People like podcasts, and it's fun to make a podcast. But I didn't say it was easy to make a podcast. Lots of podcasts fade away because they're time-consuming and technical to produce, and you probably don't have time to make one, which is why my firm is offering a limited number of turnkey branded podcasts for businesses like yours. I can handle everything, so all you have to do is really the fun part. Show up from the comfort of your office and share your expertise with the world. Please reach out to me for more info. You can find me on Facebook at Rachel Blackman Briars or at briarscommunications.com. That's Briars, B-R-Y-A-R-S, communications.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Bell Curve. I'm Rachel Breyers, joined by Mary Scott Hunter and Liz Bashir. And we are officially 10 weeks into the new year, which means we've had 70 days to either implement or break our New Year's resolutions. And for any of us who may follow a Christian traditional liturgical calendar, we're also about two weeks into Lent, when many of us maybe make a little sacrifice by giving something up or maybe add something to our day-to-day. And you know what all of these resolutions and sacrifices and lines in the sand about what we will and won't do have in common? They pretty much all rely on changing or improving our habits. So with that in mind, today is going to be all about habits because today is Bell Curve Book Club Day. And we read My Choice, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I think this book's thesis can pretty well be summarized by something he writes in the introduction. He writes... Changes that seem small and unimportant at first will compound in remarkable results if you're willing to stick with them for years. We all deal with setbacks, but in the long run, the quality of our lives often depends on the quality of our habits. With the same habits, you'll end up with the same results, but with better habits, anything is possible. And he goes on to point out that we tend to overestimate the potential for big life-changing moments and transformations, and that we really underestimate how small, seemingly insignificant 1% improvements in daily choices can make a bigger difference when done consistently over time. Yeah, I, I really loved how on, I think it's on page 16, he said, habits are the compound interest of self-improvement. That's a really interesting mental model to me because it's it's not just the little pieces you put in and they don't just build on each other linearly. They build on each other exponentially. And so they multiply themselves, but you have to lay that groundwork. You have to put that habit money in the bank to begin with to get where you want to go. You know, Rachel, I... When this book started, I thought so many times of Nick Saban. And yes, I, ma'am, you did, because I did too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I know we have Auburn fans and other football fans out there, but Saban talks a lot about process. And I really, I guess I've never given it a ton of thought, but it resonates what you're saying about these small changes because, you know, these big lofty goals that we create, 
yes, I mean, that's important. Making a goal is important. But Clear talks a lot about why it's a, really a commitment to all these small changes that are going to get you there. So I, I suddenly understood a whole lot better when Sabin talks about the process and why the process is important. It's exactly the same thing that James Clear is talking about with regard to these small changes that we commit to and that we do. Yeah, and James Clear did a little math I thought was interesting. If you get 1% better each day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the time you're done. But if you get 1% worse each day for one year, those numbers will actually mean you decline to almost zero. And here's the fascinating catch about all of this, according to the book that I, that I liked. He said that when we start changing our habits, there's this long period of latency before we see results. Like if you picture an X and Y axis, Results are not linear, like Liz says. It's not like you do the good thing and automatically and incrementally you're going to see results in a straight line. Rather, there's this thing that James calls a valley of disappointment. I thought this was fascinating, where you're working so hard and seeing, seeing pretty much no results. You're changing your eating. You're working out. You're cold calling and having sales meetings like your life depends on it and not getting a positive response. And in the valley of disappointment is where most people quit. When clear, mm -hmm. yeah, James points out that usually results are actually coming. And when they come, it's going to be like the long end of the hockey stick on that graph. The compounding effect is going to shoot the results up quickly. But when you're stuck in that valley of disappointment, you're just so, you're just so disappointed that you're not seeing the results that you just kind of quit before you get to see those big results. I liked the image that he used of the, or the analogy that he used of melting ice, that you're raising the temperature, raising the temperature, raising the temperature, but that ice is not melting until it hits the melting point. And then it melts rapidly. But, but you, have to, you have to work and work and work to raise the temperature, raise the temperature, raise the temperature. And then once you hit that proper moment, then it's all going to come together and happen quickly. But I, I, that resonated with me too, that section of the book. Yeah, and he also used the example of bamboo that it's grow. You don't see those bamboo shoots. They're growing, growing, growing under under the ground. And then it's kind of like all of a sudden out of nowhere, they just shoot high into the sky. So I'm curious, what pops to your mind first when I ask you this question? What's the one resolution or habit you just can't seem to build or break? I am... I'm on time. I don't think I have a reputation for being late. I hope not. But I get, I tend to get very stressed getting to places because I give myself just enough time. I give myself just the right amount of time to get my shower, get in the car, and I don't necessarily account for a train or for weather or, and so, you know, I don't, I'm not late, but I could reduce my stress dramatically by planning to be a few minutes early. And I, I am not good about that because I like efficiency. I like to get a lot of stuff done. You know, I'm like, oh, I can fold that one more load of laundry. Well, you know, the load of laundry will wait. So I struggle with just adding stress to my life by not planning to be just a few minutes early. There's nothing wrong with being early. And I just can't seem to break that habit. And then occasionally I am late you know, by a few minutes because the train is there. And and really, you should factor in the train. So that's my thing that I would like to change. And at times I do better, but I always seem to fall back into the habit of, of that cycle. 
my dad woke up at 4.15 every morning and had Bible study and made his coffee and you know, spent time in, in quiet meditation before going off to work for the day. And I always really admired that about him. My husband is a morning person who shoots out of bed at five o'clock every morning to go to the gym and get his workout knocked out before he heads to work. It is everything I can do to get out of bed at 630 when he gets back from the gym. <laughs> the habit I've always wanted to build is to be a morning person, to, to feel great when I wake up and really you know, have that quiet time before the day begins, whether that's in meditation and prayer and Bible study or just spending time on the couch drinking coffee with James or you know, writing or working on a personal passion project or whatever. But I just, I have a hard, such a hard time getting there. I can't do it. I haven't been able to do it. Let me change that mindset. I have not been able to do it yet, <laughs> but hopefully whatever Rachel has coming next for us will help me get there. <laughs> oh, well, I, I struggle with both of the things that y'all just mentioned, but I'll share one for me that's, man, it's taken my dang supplements Y'all, I have beautiful glass jars on my counter filled with every type of protein powder you can think of staring at me in all their chalky healthiness. <laughs> I've got dozens of vitamins that I have researched and spent money, good money on sitting untouched in their little containers, just taunting me, just daring me to take them. <laughs> and I, I will say that after reading Atomic Habits, I have gotten much better and some of his tips have really helped me take my supplements, but taking supplements, drinking water. Those are two I just struggle with. And part of it is just basic psychology. According to the book, one of the researchers quoted in the book said habits are pretty simple to understand. Basically, behaviors followed by satisfying consequences tend to be repeated. And those followed by unsatisfying consequences tend to be avoided. So like for me with my supplements, I tend to feel a little bit nauseous when I take them. So there you go short-term unenjoyable consequences like that sometimes mean we really do miss out on the long-term very satisfying consequences that would come if I took those vitamins. So in the book, you know, James breaks his breaks the book down into four laws about building good habits. And I want to mention those. Those are number 1 to make the good habit obvious, number 2 make it attractive, number 3 make it easy, and number 4 make it satisfying. And then he does something interesting. He inverts those laws to show us how to break bad habits. And so those inverse laws are to, number one, make the bad habit invisible. Number two, make it unattractive. Three, make it difficult. And lastly, make it unsatisfying. So he sums all of this up nicely by saying that if you're having trouble changing your habits, really the problem isn't us. The problem is our system. According to him, bad habits repeat themselves again and again, not because we don't want to change, but because we have the wrong system for change. He says we don't rise to the level of our goals, we fall to the level of our systems. So thinking through those laws and their inverses, what stood out to y'all about maybe building good habits? I really loved the idea of temptation bundling. He talks about it starting on page 110. Uh, he said, temptation bundling is a w one way to apply a psychology theory known as Premack's principle, named after the work of Professor David Premack. This principle states that the more probable behaviors will reinforce less probable behaviors. In other words, even if you don't really want to process overdue work emails, you'll become conditioned to do it if it means you get to do something you really want to do along the way. So I think of examples like, watching Netflix while on the treadmill or 
you, if, if you get to do something you want to do after you finish going through those emails, you get to go on a walk with your dog after you finish the work day, bundling those together. So you get that emotional payoff to help it ingrain itself in your brain as a pleasurable thing. I just don't know how to apply that to waking up early. <laughs> Nothing pleasurable about it to me. (laughs) You know, Liz, for a while I had a a coffee maker on my nightstand so that, and I had it timed so that when I woke up, I just smelled, you know, the coffee brewing and I Uh even had my little cup on the nightstand. (laughs) I love that. Immediate reward for waking up. You know, I really liked the section um, of the book on designing your environment for success. And I think the title of the chapter was something about motivation is overrated and environment often matters more. And I, 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 I wanted to like, like whack my husband over the head with this chapter because he gets after me because I'll spend time, you know, when I'm deciding to do something, I'll spend time like arranging my environment to do that thing. And, you know, he'll, he'll say, you just, just do it, you know, just, but I have to spend some time when I decided, for example, to start eating a low inflammation diet, I I had to clean clean out the kitchen first. I had to get everything ready to do that. And I don't know, he didn't seem to understand that. So I, I wanted to, you know, like read this chapter aloud to him. But I, you know, Claire even has a, a, a little graph here about, you know, before and after designing the environment. And I do think that what he talks about making things, you know, obvious in the environment making them like kind of close at hand, like the Tupperware containers have to be right there and the things that you need have to be right at hand, you know, or it's going to be harder to do those things and therefore you're unlikely to do them. To me, that just, oh, that, I mean, for that one, it more verified something that I do. Maybe that's, I don't know, something I came across in my, I don't know, my habits naturally, but but designing your environment is incredibly important. And it's kind of in that first piece of the of the of his advice of making it obvious. If your environment isn't conducive to whatever habit it is you're trying to form or unform, it's I don't know, you can have all the resolution and the resolve and the motivation in the world, but it's gonna wane. Well, and that's what I realized with these supplements after reading that same section about redesigning your environment. Put them in a glass jar on your countertop? Well, yeah. Well, I realized that part of my problem is that most of my vitamins are tucked away in our second pantry, which I never go in. So one of my takeaways was I need to take particularly my B and my D vitamins that I would like to take in the morning. And put those on the counter. Now, it bo- it bothers Pepper because he's definitely a neat freak. And he, so he'll go put them back in the pantry and I'll go put them back on the counter. <laughs> but, you know, if I can move them to that location next to the glass, you know, where I get my morning glass of water, I-, I have been taking them because they're right there. And then the other thing that I've been doing about designing the environment is that, you know, the rest of the vitamins, since they do make me feel a little bit sick, I've said, okay, I need to take those with dinner. And then my new habit is that I can't sit down at the table until I've filled a big glass of water and taken those supplements and put them by my dinner plate. And when I do that, I take them, you know, but when I don't Mm -hmm. do that, they just sit in the pantry. I loved those if this, then that statements that he talked about. If X, then Y. If I'm going, if I'm setting the dinner table, I put my water and my 
supplements by there. A really, really bad habit that I got into, you know, I've been traveling a lot for work recently. And for some reason, my mindset was I'm out of the house. I'm, I'm not on vacation, but what I eat doesn't matter as much because I'm not cooking my own food. So I don't have as much control over what's going into my body. But I was, I was getting into the habit of landing in the city, going to CVS to get some bottles of water and some other snacks and getting really unhealthy snacks and not realizing how much, especially with the, the travel schedule I've been on, how much that was impacting how I felt, my weight, my, my eating habits. And so a couple of weeks ago, I was just changing that mindset of if I'm traveling, I'm still eating, making healthy choices. I just stopped going to CVS was a big thing. So I, I love how he talked about the how the inverse of these laws is also true and very impactful. Of if you if you're in a, an environment that is bad for your habits, changing the changing it to a good habit or changing it to a good environment is just as is just as important as the inverse of that. Yeah, I, I like how he said. You know, many people think they lack motivation when when, when what they really lack is clarity. And that we have to know what we yes. want. Yes, that we have to know what we want to do. But then actually the when and where of that, that it doesn't work to just say, well, I'm going to work out this year. We have to decide when it will actually work on our schedule. And then we have to decide where. And like you said, he has these little formulas that you can plug in. So he said a simple way to do that is to fill out the sentence, I will blank and then insert the behavior at mm-hmm. blank, you know, blank, fill in the time in blank and then you fill in the location and that you know this that what when and where is really crucial to me i've got time slots and specific places to pray meditate go to the gym work write cook dinner you know all of it read go to bed like for instance for me cooking a very healthy dinner for my family is very very important to me but that takes time and you know our evenings are sort of precariously strategized mixed of in and out the door running all over town so for me that timing is so crucial and it's right when we get home from school it's like clockwork and he does say that the secret to creating a successful habit is selecting the right cue to kick it off and so for me the cue for making dinner is walking in the door you know I go straight to the kitchen that sets off the afternoon and evening chain of habits and routines the kids have their chores but if I if I sort of mess that up a little bit like maybe if I'm like oh well let me go back to the computer and sit down for a little while or let me let me do this or that the whole evening tumbles it's like that really is the building block that everything else is stacked upon mhm absolutely so i he talked about deciding what kind of a of a person you are and i felt like that was really important because the inverse of me showing up late uh, you know i want to be a person who is known to be on time the inverse of that is be having a reputation for a person who's always late i don't want to have that reputation so you know thinking about these things not just from the standpoint of what motivates you to do them what is a, you know, what, what's the negative outcome if you don't do them? Yeah. Like your identity. What do you want your identity to be? I loved that he talked about that. Around page 39, I made that, I made a note. He says, what, what, decide what kind of person you want to be. And that will help frame out all these habits. And I I really love that idea. I do too. That was one of my favorite parts of the book or favorite lessons from the book is, is, for lack of a better term, naming it and claiming it of, I am this and this type of person does that. 
I am a spin instructor. I am a healthy person who exercises every day. I am a reader, which means I'm a person who reads every day. I am someone who executes tasks reliably and relentlessly. To be that person, I have to actually execute tasks reliably and relentlessly. So it, it follow once you decide what your identity is, the actions follow that identity. Remember when he talked about about actions leading to outcomes, but motions leading to nothing? Uh, wow. You know, how many of us have just walked in place? I mean, we're, we're, there's motion, (laughs) you're doing stuff, you know, but it's not leading to any outcome that you want. And James Clear was an athlete and we, he, obviously a lot of his influences are, you know, are from his time in athletics, but he really talks a lot about how you can do something you know, to prepare for the big game, to prepare for that perfect throw. He was a baseball guy, you know, to prepare for uh, the catch. But really, you have to, the actions have to be specifically designed to lead to the outcome, or it's just motion. Ah, that convicted me all. I I don't know how much of my life I've spent just in motion, but I don't think I really want to know the answer. (laughs) I like how he said the first mistake is never the one that ruins you. It's the spiral of repeated mistakes that follows. So missing once, he says, is an accident. Missing twice is the start of a new habit. And Mm -hmm. I really loved that idea, especially when he's talking about what successful people do. He's like, you know, successful people do fail. They just rebound quickly instead of falling into this all or nothing mentality that if you can't do something perfectly, you might as well not do it. And I really have to be careful about that in really a couple ways. First, you know, one thing I've had to learn about myself is I have to give myself strict deadlines and even sort of force myself into a pressure cooker, even if that's not, even if I don't have that pressure, like give myself a very short amount of time to do something so that I don't spend forever (laughs) tinkering, editing, redoing, you know, making things perfect. And so I think getting good and fast and delivering excellence in a way that's profitable as a business person, you know, business owner is a real challenge. But the second thing for me is, you know, I don't work out as much as I did last year. That's part of my word for the year was sacrifice. And I've been tempted to get really bummed about that and just sort of throw up my hands and say, well, I guess I just can't do it at all. But that is not helpful at all. You know, two or three times a week is way better than no times a week. It absolutely is. And I I guess the section or the law that I struggled with the most is the third one, make it easy. Because, you know, I think, well, anything that you want to do needs, you know, is hard. You know, if it were easy, anybody would do it. But that's not really his point here. The point is, Rachel, what you're talking about in in chapter 11, he says, walk slowly, but never backward. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're walking a little slower. You know, you're you're exercising a few less times a week, but you're not going backwards. Mm -hmm. You're still going in the same direction. Maybe you're not going there as fast, but you're going in the right direction. And that has motivated me several times since I started, since I finished this book Say, so, well, I I can't do all that today, but what can I do today that's at least one or two tiny things that are going in the right direction? I am, you know, I'm a mess today. I'm not motivated. I didn't sleep well last night. The kids, the husband, the job, the, you know, the list goes on and on. But what, 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 what couple of little things can I do that might take five minutes, you know, that 
Maybe it's just taking my vitamins. But what can I do today that's at least going in the right direction a little bit? I'm like, thank you, James Clear, for giving me permission to say, you know, some days you just you got to make it easy on yourself to go in the right direction and be a little bit forgiving. And I thought that that was just profound for those of us who, you know, have that attitude. Well, it's got to be hard. Everything's got to be hard. Well, no, in fact, everything doesn't have to be hard. Sometimes it's just enough to do, you know, pick the apple that's closest to the ground. And that's all you need to do today. Well, I like how he talked about, you know, along lines of it being hard, that sometimes you just have to get the bad habit you're trying to break out of your sight because we only have a certain amount of willpower. And that if we are using up our willpower to resist the thing that's in our face, we just don't have the strength we need to carry out the good tasks we want to do. We just, I like that idea that there's a, a limited amount of willpower we each have. And if we can get that stuff out of our view, we're, we're not taxing that willpower in an area that we don't want to spend it on. It's not an un, it's not a bottomless reserve. Willpower is not a bottomless reserve. And everybody's willpower has an end. And if you're taxing it on all these dumb things that you, that you really shouldn't be taxing it on, you don't have the reserve when it really matters. Yeah, I like too that he said we repeat bad habits because they do serve us in some way. So I think a crucial aspect of being aware is to kind of ask ourselves how is this bad habit serving me? Like, what am I getting out of it? Because I wouldn't be doing it if it didn't reward me in some way. And I think getting, like trying to figure out what's that motivation can really help us because maybe there's another way to get at the same reward in a healthy way. Oh, I loved that part too. I love that part too. And also talking about motivation, I loved the Goldilocks rule where he talks about humans experience peak motivation when working on tasks, building habits, doing things that are right on the edge of their current abilities, not too hard, not too easy, just right. You know, it's, I think it can be just as discouraging to feel like you're turning your wheels, you're on a treadmill doing the same thing at the same difficulty over and over and over again, even when you're really good, even when you've mastered it at that point, just as it can be incredibly, incredibly difficult to try to do something that's so above and beyond your current skill level that you just get frustrated and throw up your hands. It would be like somebody who's never exercised before going into the gym and trying to deadlift 200 pounds. That's not a whole lot of weight for somebody who trains regularly. But if you're just, if you're going in there for the first time, you're going to throw out your back and then you're not going to be able to lift anything. Yeah. And I love how he kind of said, you know, like, let's just take that example. If you're wanting to become your identity, someone who works out, well, maybe for like a good while, you just need to drive to the gym and sit in the parking lot. And just start associating that habit of getting in the car, getting in your workout clothes, driving to the gym. And then maybe the next time you just build on it a little bit and you you go in and you do a five-minute workout that doesn't even, you don't even break a sweat, but you got in the gym. I, I like that idea of giving yourself permission to slowly and incrementally build up to whatever it is you're trying to get to. So I would give this book an overall thumbs up because even though... As everyone knows, I like fiction better and I don't read a lot of books like this. I'm really glad that you had me, you chose it, Rachel, and I'm glad that I read it because it it really has pretty profoundly affected how I look at my daily activities. Am I just in motion or, or is this an action that leads to a desirable outcome? I really have to say that after reading this book, 
you know, and I, you know, I grumble through these books because it's this isn't the style that I like to read. But right, Liz, we get it, Mary off. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But I think that there probably are people out there that like, I've never read that kind of book. I, I wouldn't pick that kind of book up. Please try this one. It's really readable. It's really digestible. And I would say, I don't know, I think you'll get a lot out of it. I loved that it had actionable tips for personal development, professional development, interpersonal development as well. I thought it was a really well-rounded, written in a very digestible style book. Very digestible. But it's one of the better ones that I've read in a long time. Well, as we close this out, I want to encourage anybody who might be right now in the valley of disappointment. I think if you are pursuing a worthy goal and you're working hard at it, maybe encourage yourself with the idea that results might be just around the corner, whether that be career, whether that be finances, whether that be health. If you've picked some good ways to get to your goal, stick with them and and report back to us once you start seeing those compounding results. Connect with Bell Curve on Facebook or Twitter at Bell Curve Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download your podcasts. And please remember to check us out on patreon.com slash bellcurvepod. We really appreciate your patronage and we look forward to chatting with you next week. Have a good one.